Behind the Tour, the podcast from American Christian Tours that goes behind the scenes of many and most of the iconic sites, historic characters, and true stories in American history to discover how God has been at work since the very beginning. This is Aaron, and I'm here with Corey and Krista. Hey, guys. Hello. Hi. Hey. And our desire uh, today is to, pro- is, uh, in the purpose, is to provide insight for today and hope for the future as we look at history from a biblical worldview uh, and uncover uh, the hidden lessons of our past. And we're going to have fun doing it, aren't we? Oh, yeah. Oh, we are. We are ready (laughs) for this. I'm excited about the content that we have today, too. And not, I mean, it's fun because this just ends up being a conversation that we probably would have had either way. So it's fun that we get to have our friends join us today. Yeah. Mm. Awesome. Corey, how you doing? How's uh, how's the far north? Well, it's milder than usual. There's hardly much snow here. I mean, there's snow, obviously, but it's a tolerable amount. We haven't had to shovel much at all. And it's been in the 20s, like this whole time. So it's been just pleasant, really. <laughs> so it's kind of like Wisconsin's own version of global warming. Say that. It's kind of like a, a kind of a locale yeah. type thing. Meanwhile, my cousins in Texas would disagree with that because they're getting all the snow. <laughs> yeah, right. It's the world turned upside oh, down, I think. there's a song about that. Uh, yeah. I don't know. It's, it's kind of a nice song, too. Well, yeah, today, you guys, we're going to have fun. Uh, the first, our first little segment here is our uh, wonderful coffee corner mm. and colonial colloquialisms. And uh, my tongue is now in three different knots. <laughs> So after I get that out, um, <clears throat> I'm, I would love to give you the uh, a colloquialism. I think, Corey, you have one too, don't oh, you? Oh, I have so many. But you take us off because I, I don't actually know like your story. So I'm really, I'm, I'm on the edge of my seat. Okay. Well, today we're going to we're gonna talk a little bit about George Washington and uh, just, just an amazing um, founding father, an amazing uh, man in our history, his faith in God and uh, a number of different things about him. Uh, so I thought it might be kind of apropos or appropriate at least to give a colloquialism that started, mm-hmm. uh, I think it was kind of in the 1600s, maybe, maybe a little bit later, but it it is this, get it straight from the horse's mouth. Uh, have you ever heard that? To get, it, to get something from the, straight from the mm-hmm. horse's mouth? Usually it's said about me, so yes, I've heard <laughs> it the horse <laughs> and the mouth. <laughs> well, that, that can be positive and negative, I guess. Yes. Uh, but this, this is an old farming expression. It's actually pretty cool. Um, <clears throat> and I've worked with horses before uh, at different Christian camps and places around the country, and I got to thinking about this, and this old expression was when uh, farmers would buy horses, they would look into the mouths to see the teeth, mm-hmm. uh, and the farmer could find out a lot about looking at the horse's teeth, such as uh, the age uh, and the physical health of the horse. Um, the person trying to sell the horse might even pretend that it was in a, a great horse and in really good condition, and sometimes from the outside, it might just look like that. Um, but uh, the, the, uh, the farmer would always look at the horse's teeth. And there was something else that kind of struck up uh, a little uh, light bulb in my head was never look a gift horse in the mm-hmm. mouth. And <clears throat> that's something that I remember uh, from years past. And I was thought, well, why not? And that 
kind of came about is you don't want to, if you get a, a horse that's a gift, uh, you don't want to look at it in the mouth and, and uh, uh, kind of shame the person that's giving it to you. Um, so that's, that's kind of a cool uh, old saying, um, get it straight from the horse's mouth. I love that. I did not know that at all. You know, one other little thing I can think of too off, off my off hand is um, when somebody gets uh, long in the teeth. <laughs> uh, it, and I hadn't heard this for a while either. I know this is a little getting a little abstract here, but um, when you say someone's long in the teeth, it just means they're old. Um, and that came from a horse's mouth because horses' teeth, when you look at them uh, and they're long, that means it's an old oh, horse. Yeah, because human teeth, that's not how you would evaluate somebody. Yeah, somebody. I don't know about human teeth, in, <laughs> unless you're just horsing around, I guess. Hey, oh. Yeah. Oh, All right, Corey. Goodness. Well, how about you? Give us, give us. Okay. What you got. Well, I don't know if I could compete with that, but I was just thinking uh, we're talking about George Washington, and it's a common misconception that George Washington wore a wig because his hair always looks like so perfectly curled and coiffed and cued, and all of the portraits we've ever seen of him. But true story, George Washington did his own hairstyling. He never wore a wig, but there are a lot of fun like phrases that come out of wigs of the day, which was definitely like high fashion. Like it, it seems so silly to us today, but isn't all fashion in some, some way or other. But so if you ever go to Williamsburg and you go to the wig maker shop, which is one of my favorite shops, I know you guys have probably been there on a lantern tour or on your study <laughs> visit. I don't know. It's always so fun. I went there to actually buy, or to buy your very own wig. Some wonderful you really make them there. That's what's so fun about Williamsburg. <laughs> are they like real trade shops? So, anyways, if you walk in, like you'd probably somebody see somebody like sewing um, a wig onto like it looks like a head made out of wood, and they would measure a per first. They would like shave a person's head, and then like do all these like minute, detailed, minutely measured measurements, whatever, and then carve a piece of wood to the exact measurement of a person's bald head so that they could make these wigs custom to fit a person's head. So there you'd walk into the wig maker shop and you would see a blockhead sitting there. Uh -huh. I would look, it would look just like the person, but obviously it's not the real person's head. So if you're being an idiot, you know, <laughs> Someone might call you a blockhead because you might look like yourself, but your brain isn't in place. Um, another thing is if you get too carried away, like, you know, greeting each other and bowing with all sorts of men, you know, just maybe just getting a little too carried away, carried, carried away. Um, you might flip your wig in the bowing and all the early burliness. I know. Um, what's another that one? That's pretty funny. Well, I just remember the first time I went to the wig maker shop and realized that everyone shaved their head. Yes. I just couldn't. <laughs> I was like, no, Even the girls. just done. I was like, you know what? I had questions about colonial times, but that just, no, <laughs> absolutely not. Sometimes I'm so grateful to live in the 21st century. And that was, that was one of those moments. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Even the women did too, didn't they? Yeah. Yes. Yes. That's a nope. But then when you think, yeah, yeah, then when you think of hygiene and those kinds of things anyway, no, no, I'm, I'm grateful, I'm grateful. But I'm glad that they did, that they had that trait though, and they did look 
very very so fancy oh there's one more like so we often call like the bathroom maybe if you're feeling fancy you might call it the powder room and usually it's just where the girls go you know and freshen up their makeup but before makeup people used to powder their wigs in various colors and shades and pastel colors or whatever and even the men so they would go to the powder room to freshen up their wig if been a long night of dancing or whatnot oh yeah I'm, I'm pretty sure they weren't watching tv or at the no. movies no. yeah no well now i think we're gonna have to rename this uh little segment coffee corner and colonial colloquialisms <laughs> overload uh, you did get a little carried away it's it's a lot to remember like it. but those are <laughs> but those are fun things on tour that i remember learning for the first time and you know you remember these things that just we don't we don't know where these things come from and i think it's so fun to actually yeah. get some depth of history mm-hmm. that um, makes it even more impactful because i mean yeah. for the last few weeks i've been saying the whole nine yards and thinking of you know full dresses because we talked mm-hmm. about it again so it's fun well, and there's an origin to everything, mm-hmm. and there's a beginning to everything, and uh, there is nothing without meaning. So, kind of fun. Hey, guys, we love our Constitution, and uh, why don't we talk a little bit, bit about today in Behind the Constitution uh, about the Bill of Rights, and kind of why, why did we need the Bill of Rights, and what is it? So, guys, what do you, what do you think? Well... I think a lot of things, but Bill of Rights specifically, when, you know, you think of them, you think of these are our rights, the Bill of Rights. And we briefly touched on last week how the anti-federalists, you know, really thought that we can't have a constitution without them. Well, James Madison was who we all know to be the author basically of the constitution and he wrote the federalist papers you know promoting the constitution and talking about his role in why they didn't want to have the bill of rights in there to begin with so james madison when he came to the point of going we need to have no bill of rights in there it was pretty controversial at that point i mean we talked about last week with patrick henry how patrick henry thought for sure they needed them um james madison's point was that eight of the states already had their own bill of rights and if they started giving the rights enumerated within the constitution his fear was that people would think these are our only rights or these are the only rights that would be protected by the constitution. And so he's like, let's just let the states take care of their own rights as they already have. Virginia, in fact, actually had already had this. And so at the end of the four months, because they were, you know, in Philadelphia at Independence Hall, writing out the constitution for four months, you know, in September, they realized, hey, we're missing this important piece. He's like, let's just pass it as is, finally got everyone on board, like, let's just pass this thing. Well, when it passed, he was absolutely shocked at the number of people who came out against him as in everyone said we've got to have these bill of rights the reason why we even have the bill of rights or the reason why we need them is because we fought a revolutionary war that said you know people the british came in and they would actually you know take our arms and they quartered themselves in our homes like we have to have these and his most shocking person who was against him was thomas jefferson Thomas Jefferson actually wrote him a letter and said, you need to put a bill of rights within the constitution. 
And that was just hugely <laughs> shocking to James Madison. Cora, you've been to James Madison's home, correct? I've say I've never been there to Montpelier. Yes. Oh, I love Montpelier. Yes. 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 So you know how the relationship between Thomas Jefferson and James Madison, they were so, so close. close. Like there's a house or there's like a room in Jefferson. Jefferson's house that's like designated as James Madison's home because they live 30 miles apart which is a day's a good day's ride so if you're going to ride all the way over you have to spend the night so that was Madison's room so yeah they were really close and even while Madison was here writing the constitution and Jefferson was abroad there was much communication um, between the between the two two friends and kind of a mentor friendship in some ways yeah. And there were there were a lot of the the founders that, that were that were friends, mm -hmm. and they were yeah. not only friends, but they were they were comrades in arms too throughout the Revolutionary mm -hmm. War. And uh, I think this is one. There were a number of cases where they would disagree with each mm -hmm. other, um, and yet they were still uh, moving forward with a lot of common principles. And freedom was an underlying principle here. Uh, but uh, yeah, Krista, you make you make a good point that the you know the, the there are two sides to every mm -hmm. coin, right? And you have the the Federalists here and the Anti-Federalists. Um, one wanted a strong a centralized government, and the other uh, side was was really kind of fighting for uh, states' rights and individual rights. So where is that common yeah, ground? Yeah, well, and I think that what is so cool about it is they finally got the Constitution passed and they got it ratified. Everything was going forward. James Madison was elected into Congress. And one of the first things that he did, he flipped 180 degrees mm -hmm. and basically wrote the Bill of Rights. He was the very first thing he did while he was in Congress was asked to have uh, you know, that they would make that constitutional amendment for these 10. And originally there was actually quite a few more. They whittled them down to 10 and so that they could get these 10 amendments in there, which then was a whole new process. I mean, think of this. So 1787, the constitution passes. It took about 18 months or more to actually get it ratified through all the states. So he had written federalist papers. He had been defending the constitution saying, this thing is the right thing. This is great. So then to go back and having to ratify it was the exact same process. He had two thirds of the Congress he had to convince, two thirds of the Senate, he had to convince the states. It was a really, really big deal, but still he knew it was the right thing for the people to move forward with the Bill of Rights. And um, yeah, I mean, and I think today we look and go, how often do we offhandedly quote the Bill of Rights almost on a daily basis? I would say far more than the actual constitution itself. Yeah, that's awesome, Krista. Thank you so much. So now is time for a word from our sponsor, American Christian Tours. All right, we have a note here from Joshua. He says, the tour and itinerary setup from American Christian Tours is executed excellently. Working with the office staff is so easy. They planned every detail. Now the kids understand our country's Christian foundation. I could not be more pleased with the experience. Thanks, Josh, for such a positive feedback. We love hearing from people like you who've been on tour and have experienced everything that Axe has to offer. And if you'd like to know more, why don't you guys visit our website, axe-tours.com. All right, it's time for, to dig into the mailbag and grab a question from one of our listeners today uh, for our Behind the Tour Guide 
The question is, what's one of the more unusual places that you visited on tour? Well, I'd have to say that I've visited a lot of unusual places. Um, I think some were intentional and others not so intentional. So Krista, Corey, I guess I'll start with an unintentional uh, one. And this just happened to be in the Capitol building. Uh, we were in the movie theater there watching the, the main movie. And we get out on our tour and we're on our tour with one of the uh, Capitol tour guides. And uh, I had a mother come up to me and say, hey, I left my phone in the movie. Um, can I go get it? And I said, no, no, I'll, I'll go get it. You, you stay on tour uh, and I'll grab it. You know, I'll, I, should, I should be back, you know, in a matter of minutes. It shouldn't take me that long. Well, lo and behold, uh, I get down there and they say they don't have the phone. Uh, it got sent down to lost and found almost immediately. And I guess that's what they do at the Capitol. Uh, so I had a, one of the Capitol police have to walk me down into Lost and Found. And as we were walking, I said, how far do we have to go? And he said, oh, not far. And I tell you, I think we walked for about 15 minutes down into the bowels of the Capitol building uh, just for a phone. So that took me about a half an hour uh, to do. And finally, I caught up with the tour later. But it was kind of an amazing place, actually. <laughs> it was a little scary. It's one of those uh, times where I'm I've like, had right, am I going so to get to leave this those building? Experiences. Although whenever anyone says the Capitol film, I just get in my mind, e pluribus pluribus. And I can, like, the music starts in my brain, and it's like, I want to nap, and I also want to stay awake all at the same time. It's just amazing. So I love that. That's awesome. I don't think I've ever been there. Corey, how about you? Um, I'm like racking my brain. Some of them have been like, you know, on the day, your day off where you're like, Ooh, I saw that on tour. I want to go back and check it out. So those have been fun experiences where like for eight years, I'd been dying to go on the national treasure tour at Mount Vernon. <laughs> like a Did total you do nerd. It? So I, fr- oh, I, yeah, I know that when my sister came. Yeah. <laughs> I always wanted to. <laughs> I know me too such a nerd so I finally went on it and it is like the it's like the nerdiest of check marks on your box is to go take that tour because I mean it's kind of novel they show you a lot of pictures of the filming and kind of talk about it and they do take you like under the house and show you the cornerstone that was laid by George Washington's grandfather and so yeah it is pretty it is pretty nerdy so those are kind of fun um but yeah speaking of capital I mean a pretty unique experience is like when like school groups are connected to congressional members or like you know they've got kind of an inside angle with their representative or something so we can get those vip tours through the bowels of the of the capitol or out on the speaker's balcony and or you know in the rotunda at night singing amazing grace or something just absolutely stirring and moving and awe-inspiring so yeah that's always fun. Capitol Hill is just, you just never know what's going to happen there. You know what I'm saying? No, you don't. <laughs> I have a Capitol story as well. I mean, as long as we're on, as long, as long as we're on that precious jewel, <laughs> I do love the Capitol building. Um, but one time, actually, this was recently, like maybe two springs ago, I was in this, um, the House of Representatives. You can go and sit and actually see where Congress makes laws. And so we're at the what they call the House Gallery. And so we're in there and this 
representatives were not on the floor. And so when that happens, tour guides can actually speak. Like I could talk to my, to my tour group and show them all around the room. You know, I, you can't leave your seat, but you know, just physically go, that's what that is. That's what this is and go through it. Well, obviously it's Capitol Hill. And so Capitol Hill has some of the best policemen working. Um, you know, I always have a high respect for police officers anyway, but the ones up there, they're always so nice. And this mm -hmm. one who is watching me, um, was not just like noticing that we were there, but he's like watching me. And so I was like, okay, this is the time we got to get the gospel in. And so I really went into like a Christian aspect. <laughs> you never know who's listening. And you always want to be like, never yeah. want to miss an opportunity. And so as yes. I was finishing mm -hmm. up, he came over and he started talking to me and he's like, wow, that's great. You know, I've heard some of that stuff before, especially just from like a tour guide. And I was like, I'm not going to take offense to the tone of that, but yes, thank you. And, um, he, <laughs> he goes, hey, do you guys have some time? And I'm like, in my mind, I said, there's no, um, like limit of how much time I have if you're going to take us someplace. And so he goes, well, why don't you just follow me if you have the time? And thankfully we're kind of a small group, maybe like 20, 25, and he starts taking us through all these hallways of, of Congress. Mm -hmm. And I've, I personally, I don't know if I've mentioned on here before, I used to work in Congress. So personally, I've been there, but to bring a group to these places, no one gets to go to these mm -hmm. halls. And so he's bringing us to these back mm -hmm. areas. Well, he brought us through the back way to the speaker of the house's balcony, like you said, and not usually you go in through the rotunda and over, but he brought us like through mm -hmm. the speaker's mm -hmm. wing back there it was the coolest thing and it was just such a really neat experience and I think what made it so memorable I've been out there a few times but what made it so memorable was the reaction of the students and how excited mm. they were and they realized what a precious time that that was because they go we've never been able to do this and they're from the midwest and just very you know very appreciative of everything that they saw anyway because they usually didn't see really big buildings so it was just super memorable so anytime i see that police officer i go and make sure and talk to him um and just thank him again because i just thought it was so i love that and i love those random moments too or it's awesome memories are made and you didn't do a thing yeah well, and I got to give one more. Uh, we don't, American Christian Tours doesn't do just mm -hmm. student tours. Uh, we also do adult tours. And I was, I had an adult group uh, about three years ago. And we, uh, one of the, one of the adults in the group knew a Congress member who actually led us into the Capitol after hours. And we got to go to the rotunda and pray oh, wow. and do communion. So that was, uh, that was a very memorable experience for me, uh, just being in that place, uh, praising the Lord and uh, being able to pray and, and take communion in there. I love those stories. And honestly, I think we could probably do several, several um, episodes where we talk about things that we've been able to do on tour and special moments that we've had. And um, I just love that, the, you know, again, going back to day one, that having communion in our Capitol building the specialness of what that really represents is just unbelievable. So thank you so much. And thank you for the question. I just want to remind you guys, any questions that you guys have for tour guides for us, you can submit to behind the tour at axts-tours.com. That's behind the tours at axts-tours.com. Well, last week we asked the question, of which founding father was it said, first in war, 
first in peace and first in the hearts of his countrymen. And these famous words that have actually become more famous throughout time uh, came from uh, a eulogy that was written by Henry Lighthorse Harry Lee. And Henry Lee was uh, a major general uh, in the Continental Army. Uh, he was also a member of the, uh, the Continental Congress. Uh, he was a governor of Virginia. And uh, get this, he was the father of the famous Civil War general, uh, Robert E. Lee. Uh, but uh, you guys, he was a really close friend uh, to George Washington. We had talked about Thomas Jefferson and James Madison uh, and their friendship. And again, there's so many others of, of the founders that had very close friendships and uh, that were kind of forged in the fire of, of the, uh, the war for independence. But uh, following um, George Washington's death, uh, on December 14th in 1799, he was 67 years old, uh, the, the Sixth Congress commissioned uh, Lee uh, to, to write this eulogy, and he accepted. Uh, Congress was unanimous in choosing Lee, um, believing that he was the best suited to express some sentiments uh, because of their friendship. Um, and he, he really, um, he indeed proved to be a pretty good choice uh, due to his relationship with Washington. And uh, it's interesting because they, both of these men were both uh, accomplished horsemen. Um, you know, I gave that, uh, that colonial colloquialism of the horse um, or, you know, uh, looking the horse in the mouth. Uh, George Washington he, he had a couple of horses. He actually mm -hmm. had really two, uh, Nelson and Blue Skin. They were called, they were uh, two of his horses that he actually rode into battle. Uh, they weren't afraid of gunfire and they were uh, really some pretty cool horses. If you've ever seen the, the picture or the, the portrait of George Washington kneeling in prayer at Valley Forge, that's the depiction of that white horse there is Blue Skin. So yeah, both of these guys were, were accomplished horsemen in Virginia, from Virginia, um, and they, they actually visited each other um, after, the Revol after the War for Independence and uh, shared a lot of information about their plantations. Um, you know, George Washington was big on crop rotation. He was big on replenishing the soil um, with crops uh, because of the tobacco crop. Um, so they would share information with each other. And, and Lee uh, also gifted uh, George Washington a number of different things to help him um, with trees and barley and uh, different things throughout their post-independence um, war relationship. But Lee, Lee wrote the eulogy in Philadelphia uh, while he was staying at, at Benjamin Franklin's old house. And in his eulogy, it was at the end of about a 3,500 word eulogy and he says first in war first in peace and first in the hearts of his countrymen he was second to none uh, in the humble endearing scenes of private life pious just humane temperate and sincere uniform dignified and commanding his example was as edifying to all around him as were the effects of that example lasting uh, boy, if only those words could be written about me, huh? Oh my gosh, about <laughs> anyone. Well, and that's so amazing though, when you look at Goat, the relationships between these people, you know, that these 
you know, George Washington wasn't just a figure, but there were those relationships and, you know, that they found that common ground with farming. And, you know, we know from being on tour and, you know, if our, if people listening have ever been to Mount Vernon know that George Washington loved his farm. And if he would have had a choice, he wouldn't have gone to war. He would have stayed at Mount Vernon. You know, it's just absolutely amazing when you look at the, the impact and the implications of really those things, but then that those would be his words about someone, you know, when you know someone almost better, you'd think that, um, you know, I always think if people get to really know the real me, what would they actually say? And, you know, this guy really did know George Washington and he still said these amazing, amazing things. And I just, I love that so much. I think that that's great. Yeah, that really gives, uh, again, and the, the full eulogy is very interesting to read, but it gives a great perspective on not only a good friendship, but just on Washington's mm -hmm. character too. That's awesome. Well, and what, like, we, t we have talked about amongst ourselves about George Washington's faith and, you know, the, what that actually put into his life and how that really built him up as a person. And I know Corey has done so much reading at, um, at all the different locations, especially at Mount Vernon and, um, you know, all the different, all the different areas that you've been and your love of founding fathers. So Corey, what have you found about George Washington's life and his faith? Well, uh, that he lived it. He's one of those guys that the more you mm. study, like, you know, like you, get, you can pick a founding father and you'll eventually find something and you're like, mm, yeah, okay. But George Washington, I don't know, he's one of those guys, like the more you read, the more you're like, wow, this man is, he's something. What a guy. Um, obviously not perfect, but um, just one who continued to change the world. I don't know, in his humble, simple um, attitude and his respect for people. I don't know. He's just, he's just one of those guys. I, I'm always like, I think Reagan said it best as he always does when he said that one of the most beautiful pictures in American history is of George Washington on his knees at Valley Forge, which isn't just a beautiful painting that has recently hung at the museum of the Bible, but, um, it's based on actual fact and eyewitness accounts. Like you were telling us earlier, Krista, there's, there's actual accounts of people who would, you know, need to tell George Washington something and where would they find him out by himself in the forest praying. And, um, you know, when you talk about Washington, you can't not talk about his quality of humility. And I think that's really what sticks out to me about him and not just his humility before the hand of providence, which he routinely recognized as um, the, the source for our victory against the British and just the establishment of our country at all. Um, but also just that posture of humility towards people around him like you know he's willing to learn from people and ask questions and um to serve his men that phrase we talk about you know he's serving as president well that's george washington's coinage like he came up with that idea and that posture and so i think his lingering legacy so aptly put by our friend lee um that he is first in war and first in peace and first in the hearts of his countrymen and how how endearing he was to all those who knew him whether it was those who served, served under him in the war or those who knew him as family or grew up with him or served in you know, Congress, whatever. It just, it's a profound lingering legacy yeah. of love. Well, and I think too, like he wasn't just the first in the hearts of, of his countrymen, but on August 26th of 1792, he became an honorary citizen of 
France because of his friendship with the French and with uh, Marquis de Lafayette, their relationship that he, Marquis de Lafayette, considered George Washington basically a father figure that, you know, really what he did in his life. And he wasn't even really that old when you're looking at timelines. He was born in 1732. He lost his dad at a very young age. He wanted to go join the military, which meant that he'd be in the British Navy and his mom asked him not to. And so he became a surveyor and, you know, because he was a surveyor, he became, you know, the scout for the British during the French and Indian War. And, you know, his life is just a series mm-hmm. of events that just so happens mm-hmm. kind of stuff. Do you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Just, just so happens that he was a surveyor and he knew the Ohio and that famous story that mm-hmm. a lot of us tell on tour about um, Bulletproof Washington. If our listeners haven't heard that, make sure you look that one up. The Bulletproof Washington is just mm-hmm. such a, a great story of God's providence and hand on George Washington's life. And, you know, you look at his life and really what it, what it meant But if you read his journal entries, and I think that that's always the fun part of, we can talk about these, you know, big men and, you know, their, their lives and these women and, you know, these characters in history, but to read their actual words, um, I think it was around the age of between 20 and 23, I found a journal entry once that was his profession of faith of Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. And so many people today try and, you know, he was a deist because he talked about divine providence instead of God. Well, we are just so small minded in our words. We're not very careful with our words. Whereas founding father Aaron, the 1770s and, um, you know, 1780s, they were very, very careful about which words that they used. In his writings, he had over 50 words to use for God. Like where I say, you know, the Lord, Jesus, God. He had 50. Like I like that's where I ran dry. I ran dry at four. Like, I mean, that's pretty amazing to look that through all of his his faith was so well lived, but it wasn't out loud. His faith was very personal to him. And that's why he was found reading in the woods. He wasn't reading before his men. And Aaron, you just were telling me about some of the rites that he actually performed. Yeah, you know what, uh, Krista, this, again, Washington, you mentioned his journal or his diary. Um, Washington really kept a, a pretty good diary throughout different portions of his life. And in his, in his own writings, uh, you know, Washington affirmed his strong beliefs in God. There's a couple of early artists that made lithographs uh, just uh, after the War of Independence, and one of the lithographs showed George Washington reading the Bible to his troops, uh, and another was uh, George Washington fulfilling the role of um, really being a chaplain in, in reading God's word at the funeral of a, a British commander named Edward Braddock, who died in the French and Indian War. Mm. So, you know, I read things like this, and it really just tells me of Washington's firm reliance on God. Uh, that was really evident in in so many of his endeavors. And I think of even his farewell address. You know, we talk about first in war, first in peace. You know, just, uh, I don't know about you guys, but the first in war, what an amazing commander, right? I mean, his his ability uh, that, that God gave to him to, to lead as the general of the armies and, and preserving his life, like you just mentioned in the bulletproof George Washington. So much to say about that, but his, his character in his leadership, uh, in godly leadership, were very evident. But, you know, in, in George Washington's farewell address, and this goes more to the first in peace aspect of it, and I love the address. It gets, it gets a little long, but it's such a good address, and it's considered to be one of the, one of the most significant, I guess, really political speeches, uh, 
that's been delivered by any president, but it refers to his diary too here, you guys. And I want to, I'll just read a little portion of it, not of his diary. Well, actually it was, it was an entry uh, into his diary for the last day of his presidency. <laughs> and he says this, he says, much such a day as yesterday in all respects, Mercury at 41 degrees, the public man was already receding into the proverbial mists. He talks about himself. The private man could not wait to get those new dentures <laughs> and place himself beneath those vines and fig trees. But you read the farewell address and you read all his entries. You guys, you can't help but to see uh, the Christian character that uh, in, in his firm reliance on God throughout all of Washington's endeavors, I think. Okay, wow. George Washington, what, what a man um, and what a servant. I think, again, that's one thing that just continues to stick out to me. Here's this man that led through the war, won the war, and then resigned his commission. And then he became president and resigned the presidency. And um, just so he could go home and sit under his own vine and fig tree and raise his grandchildren and whatnot. Um, but there is a story from 1780s, 83, where there were a lot of soldiers who were a little bit ticked off that they hadn't been paid. And they had something of a, a mutiny slash conspiracy all in the works. Petitions had been signed, arms had been raised, and um, things were getting fierce. Well, George Washington was mortified and he came to address these men and he brought with him a little speech he was about to give. And there these men sat and there the great George Washington was about to address their, their actions and their attitudes. And he pulled out his speech and stumbling through, I don't know, at some point he, he paused and he said to the men, excuse me. And he put on a pair of glasses and he said, I have, You'll, you'll forgive me, men, but I've um, not only grown gray in the service of my country, but also blind. And the soldiers later said that they just sat there weeping, ashamed, mm -hmm. and mortified that they could ever, you know, think that they deserved such favor and pay when this, this man who had selflessly sacrificed and endured everything with them and his wife alongside darning their socks, the soldier's best friend, Martha Washington, um, and here he was. Not only had he grown gray, but he'd also grown blind in the service of his country. And yeah, what a man who dedicated his life to the service of his country and for the posterity that we've talked about the last episode or two. Future generations, generations yet unborn, and we're still reaping the benefits of his actions in life, as well as his example of character and humility. So let that be a call to action. We can all learn from the example of George Washington. That's amazing. Well, and it, it is a call to action for all of mm -hmm. us. And, you know, I think what a great way to close out what has been, I would say, just an absolute joy of a series of Behind the Quilt. And, mm -hmm. you know, looking at all these different founding fathers and really the impact of what their lives have been to all of us. And now, starting next week, I hope everyone will join us as we're starting a new exciting series which will be exploring different memorials and monuments called Carved in Stone. We're very excited about this one. We've um, been thinking about it, dreaming about how we want to bring in <laughs> physical memorials to talk to them about you, about them with you guys. And um, next week, we're going to be starting with one that if you've been to Washington, D.C., you'll be very familiar with. And I have to give a little bit of a spoiler to it. This, <laughs> this memorial 
actually interacts with the trees around it. So it'll be fun. Dot, oh. dot, dot. So, yeah. Can I just add one more thing? Speaking of Washington and yes. carved in stone and our quote of the day about first in war, first in <gasps> yeah. peace, and first in the hearts of its countrymen. If you ever go up the Washington Monument, that quote is the very first quote you will see inside the Washington Monument before you go up the elevator, the 555 feet to the top. Because um, again, yeah. in well, and I hope at some point maybe we'll get back to that being one of our carved in stones because it feels completely mm. and wholly inadequate to speak about George Washington at such a brief, um, mm. a brief way because there's mm. so much to talk about with him. So with that in mind, we have so much so more much. to explore. So don't forget to subscribe so you can be notified the next time that we have an episode drop, share this podcast with your friends. And also if you do have those questions for us, we love to hear from you. Um, make sure that yes, I know, make sure questions. that you email us at behind the tour at axe-tours.com. Yeah, guys, and uh, awesome. Yeah, we it acts. We believe that one person can make a difference. Um, we believe that together we can make a big difference, right? We believe that inspiring people, young mm -hmm. and old, is important. Mm -hmm. And we're so glad that you've tuned in with us today. We also believe that the past gives insight into the future, and we three are passionate about providing uh, information and giving you good stuff that can help you make a difference. Thanks for joining us today. We are so glad that you've chosen to uh, spend time with us. God has made your story part of his story uh, and that God put you here. And now for such a time as this, we'll look forward to seeing you again. Bye. Bye.